You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we look to you, O Lord, that you will teach us. We look to you, O Lord, that, Father, you would open up your word to our hearts as we often pray, Father, that you open up our hearts to your word. Father, we want to recognize that if we are going to profit from this from this text, Father, that we, we utterly require uh, your work in our hearts and in our lives. So, oh, Father, we ask for your blessing as we seek to study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning, I want to share something with you that I think really it has been so much help to me in trying to make sense of these passages. Uh, and the... the, the um, the, the parallels that I'm going to talk about here, there are three parallels that Jesus draws from here. I think once we begin to see that, I think the whole thing starts to make sense. But I will say that there is a depth to this that, um, that is so profound. What we have going on in this text is not simply a glimpse of God, but what we actually have in this text is a glimpse of the inner life of God. We, um, we do get these from time to time in Scripture. Uh, we, we get lots of glimpses of God in Scripture. Well, of course, God, Scripture is God's revealing himself uh, to us. Uh, but from time to time, we get these glimpses of the inner life of God, if you will. For example, the Holy Trinity would be a glimpse of the inner life. Now, when you begin to contemplate that, now, here's, where, here's what I'm talking about in terms of the depth and the profundity of this is you can only go so far. You've heard me say before that if you, if, you, know, if you, you go into a seminary and you study for three years, you come out with a master's degree, you're only going to learn so much about the Trinity. And you think, okay, well, I'll just go ahead and go into a doctrinal program. I'll learn more about it. Listen, you're only going to go so far. If someone were to ask me, say, Rick, could, could you teach a course on the Trinity? Uh, could you just do a three-credit course, 40 hours on the Trinity? It would be no problem. I, I can tell you what we'd do. I could tell you this. The outline would go something like this. Nothing novel, nothing new, just something like this. First thing we would do is we would see that there's one God and show all of the passages. There is one God, only one. Then from there, we would show that within God, there are three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we would show some of the attributes of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and of the Father that show very clearly that there's a personality there, but a personality that is just as equally God. Son, just as equally God 
as the Father. Holy Spirit, just as equally God as the Father. Okay? So they're one in essence. They're three in person. They're equal in power and glory. Someone say, well, that sounds like the children's catechism. It is the children's catechism. Well, what about the adult catechism? It doesn't add much more than that. And I'm not telling you not to study because there's a lot more to study after that because after that we could look at how the histor- we could look at the history how the how the doctrine is historically developed we could go into the Nicene Creed we could talk about all of that and we could go from there we could see all of the various distortions of the trinity and start talking about all these isms and there's a lot of isms isn't there there's a bunch of isms and we could start sorting out all the isms but at the end of the day this doesn't really deepen or further our understanding of the trinity you could go into the scholastics of the 17th and 18th century and you could begin learning all these new words. You could learn some Latin words. You could learn some Greek words. Uh, you could start looking at, uh, you know, uh, some of the, oh, I won't go into, listen, you're not going to come out of it knowing much more than what I've already said. And oftentimes as we come out of it, we're going to come out of it asking more questions than when we had when we went in. That's not a bad thing, by the way. One of the ways that we can know that we're really looking into the inner life of God is is that we are going to have questions that we can't answer. If we had a God before us that we could analyze in every respect, 100%, thoroughly in and out, I would submit to you that that God that's before us is not the God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the same thing is true here. I'm saying this because some of you might say, man, this sounds really deep. This sounds really profound. It's because it is. Uh, What we have going on in these texts is tremendously profound. And I'm I'm just giving you a heads up that you may leave here with more questions than when you came. So, you know, I didn't have all these questions when I showed up. Now as I'm going home, I have more questions than I had. Yeah, that's, that's what happens as we begin to look at the inner life of God. Then why do this? Because it fills our heart with awe. That's why. It fills our heart with awe. Now, with that introduction in mind, look at, look at verse 19. Jesus says there, yet a little while and the world will see me no more. And, and we say, you know, we've been, across, we've been over this before, haven't we? Yeah, most of us have. There's some of us in the room this morning that have not. So let's look at this again. Jesus is reminding his disciples that he's about to leave. You know, if you go back to chapter 13 and you look at verse 33... And again, let's keep in mind the context here. Three things, imper- three things are important uh, in studying the Bible. Contexto, ye contexto, ye contexto, right? Context, context, context. And the context is they're in the upper room. There were 12 disciples. One is now gone. Judas Iscariot's off. He's um, working on betraying Jesus. It's now Jesus with 11 disciples. And Jesus tells his 11 disciples, notice how tenderly he speaks to them in verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. And that reminds us of John chapter 7. If you turn back to John chapter 7, Jesus is clearly making a reference all the way back there. If you look at verse uh, 33, 32 for context, the Pharisees 
heard the crowd muttering these were these things about him and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him and Jesus said to them I will be with you a little longer then I'm going to him who sent me you will seek me you will not find me where I am you cannot come and understandably so the Jews are very confused verse 35 they say to one another where's this man intend to go that we will not find him does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks what's he mean you will seek me and you will not find me and where I am you cannot come. Now of course we as readers of John's gospel we know the ending. It's not so hard for us to under, understand but if we, were, if we were doing this in real time this would be very perplexing. Very perplexing. And even the disciples back to John 13 worked our way back. Let's start working our way back forward. John 13 verse 30, uh, 33 Yet a little while I'm with you, you will seek me, just as I said to the Jews, Now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. They don't understand. Their hearts are filled with sorrow. That's where, that, when Jesus says, listen, let not your hearts be troubled. It's that sorrow that Jesus is addressing. Let not your hearts, why are they sorrow? They've left everything to follow Jesus. They've left everything. Their lives are centered on him for the last three years. And now Jesus is saying he's going to depart from them. And Simon Peter, verse 36, he says, Lord, where are you going? Jesus says, where I'm going, Peter, you can't, you can't come. You can't follow me now. Peter says, why can't I not follow you? Why can't I not go? And, of course, this is a source of grief. And Jesus brings it up again, back to chapter 14, verse 9. He says, yet a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Hear those words? Jesus is dropping those words into this, um, into this context of sadness. I'm going to leave. Where I'm going, you cannot follow, but you will see me. Think about how comforting that would be. Okay, you, you have no idea what he's talking about, but that's nothing new. He's doing this all the time. He does this all the time. He says all this stuff. We don't know what, but sooner or later, he gets around to showing us. But now it's really serious because he's talking about leaving. Where is he going to go? Well, I'm going to go, but you will see me. You will see me. Think about how comforting that would be. Okay, we're going to see him. He's going to go, but we're going we're to see him. Now look what Jesus says next in verse 19. Because I live, you also will live. Um, the more I, you know, earlier this week as I was looking at verse 19, I was like, wow, would this be a great verse for Easter Sunday morning? I mean, think about it. I've never preached on this particular verse on Easter. I don't know how many Easter services I've done over the years. I've never preached on this. But boy, because you live, because I live, you also will live. Think about that. And when we do think about that, most of the time our thinking goes like this. Because Jesus is raised on that third day, we can know he is who he says he was, right? It vindicates everything that he has taught. If, if, if Jesus was lying about his stuff, if Jesus was claiming to be God and he wasn't God, he wouldn't have been raised on the third day. In fact, if he was running up and down Palestine telling all these lies, Jesus would need a savior like the rest of us. But the fact that he's raised on the third day, the fact that he, because he lives, there we can see 
there's life. And that's normally how we think about this, right? I think Jesus is setting up a parable, a parallel here where he's inviting us to think about this on a, in a different way and even in a new way. Not to get rid of the first part. Please hold on to the first part. Never let it go. But think about this for a moment. Jesus is saying, because I live, you also will live. And if you're in the habit of reading large chunks of scripture at a time, you know, four or five chapters, six chapters at a time, then you're going you're gonna to have a tendency to see the argument a little bit better. I've been making some noise about that. And you might even say, you know something? Jesus has been talking this way uh, before in other contexts. If you go back to John chapter 6, Someone might say, man, we're always going back to John chapter 6. And that's right. It's so, it's so important. So many things are introduced in John 6 that get fanned out later. But if you look at verse 57, John 6 and verse 57. As the living Father sent me, and I've made a lot of noise about that. Jesus is constantly saying, the Father has sent me, the Father has sent me, the Father has sent me. Here he's doing it again. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. You see the parallel? If you don't see it yet, that's no biggie. We're getting a little more, little, maybe some of you are looking around for evidence that some have already seen it. If we're not seeing it yet, it's okay because John 6, 57 is kind of a condensed form of John 5. If you turn back to John 5. And you look at verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Okay? So life is being given by the Father. Jesus is saying the Son is also uh, able to give life. If you look at verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now look at verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Here's a glimpse of the inner life of God. And what are we to make of that? What, just what are we to do with that? For as the Father has life in himself, I think it's easy enough for us to grasp that. And I think we're used to grasping that on Sunday mornings, on Wednesday evenings, and in our prayer times throughout the week. And it goes like this. All life is derived from God. All life owes its existence to God. But God is the only one who gives life in this respect. In other words... Nobody gives life to God. God is the fountainhead of life. God is the battery of life. God is the source of life. It is God who gives all life. God, in other words, has life in himself. This life originates from him. He is the source of this life. He is the giver of this life. He is the author of this life. He has said, let there be, and life appears. And we're used to that. That's, we get that. But what is Jesus saying he is saying in verse 26 that as, for as the Father has life in himself, okay, the Father has life in himself, he has also granted the Son 
also to have life in himself. Now, what is being talked to? Now, remind you, when you get a little glimpse of the inner life of God, it starts to open up questions. Here's one of the questions. Wait a second. Is the father giving the son the ability to have life in himself? Or is the father giving Jesus, the God-man, the one who has come to take on flesh to have life in himself. You see the questions that are coming up? When those questions start coming up, you can be rest assured you're probably getting a glimpse of the inner life of God. And someone said, well, Rick, I hope you're going to answer that for us. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's quite a mystery, isn't it? I can tell you that I think it's probably the God-man, Jesus, the God-man is probably in view here, but I'm not exactly sure on that. I really am not. I've read quite a few arguments on it back and forth. I don't know, and I'm not going to trouble you with all that. But what I want you to see is there's a parallel here. What I want you to see is, okay, we're looking at the inner life of God here, and we're looking at the inner life of God here in respect of how it is that he gives life to us. Now, let's work our way back. Let's work our way back, and I'll show you the first parallel. Go back to John, John 6, 57 again. For as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me will also live because of me. We're starting to see the parallel right there. But let's go back to John 14, 19 again. Jesus says there, because I live, you also will live. Now, what is the parallel I'm talking about? The first parallel I'm talking about is a parallel of life. Jesus is drawing a parallel. John is drawing a parallel for us that just as the Father has given Jesus life, okay, just as the Father has given Jesus in his humanity, just as the Father has given Jesus life, Jesus is giving us life. Let me say it another way. The moment that we put our faith and our trust in Christ. We're brought into union with Christ, right? Before we would ever do that, new life has already been given to us. Our eyes have already been opened in order to put our faith and trust in him, right? We've gone from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. Now let's talk about that life. What is that life? The life that Jesus gives to us is a parallel of the life that the Father has given to Jesus. Now, that's incredible. That should, like, start to take our hearts away. And I think it begins to open up what Jesus is doing here, um, especially as we move to the next parallel. The next parallel, I think, helps us see the first parallel. And some of you are like, I don't get it yet. Hang in there. Hang in there. Look at verse 20, chapter 14, verse 20. And that day... You will know that I am in my Father. Let's stop right there. What day is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the resurrection day, isn't he? I think it's pretty clear because he's saying, because I live, you also will live. When do they discover that Jesus is alive? On resurrection days, he begins to appear to them, right? Jesus is alive. They can't believe it. The women go to the tomb and they, this is going to start to sound like Easter Sunday this morning. The women go to the tomb and they discover the tomb is empty and, and some are reporting that they've seen Jesus and they can hardly believe it. But then Jesus starts appearing. So it's that day. 
That day they realize that he is alive. But they also realize something else that Jesus has been making a lot of noise about. And if you look at verse 20, they realize that Jesus is in the Father. What's that mean? Well, Jesus has been trying to flesh that out. If you go back to verse 7 in chapter 14, Jesus said, you know, Jesus is telling his disciples, listen, if you had known me, you would know my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip says, Lord, show us the father and it's enough for us. Verse 9, I've been with you so long, you still do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. It's not the first time Jesus has been talking this way. He talks this way in John chapter 10. If you look at John chapter 10, verse 30. I want you to see these arguments and how they're developing in John's gospel. Jesus makes a statement right there in verse 30, John 10, verse 30. I and the Father are one. Now you can remember me, maybe some of you remember me saying, listen, Jesus is not the Father. The Father is not Jesus. When we see, that's a heresy. That's, that's actually known as modalism. It's one of the isms we were just talking about. Don't worry about that right now. But let us understand that the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. But they're both equally God. And, and what, what Jesus is referring to is this union that's between them. If you look down the text to verse uh, 37, if I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Now, what does that mean? Well, now we're getting another glimpse of the inner life of God. And it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to raise more questions. We're not going to be able to answer all the questions. We can't answer all the questions. If we could sit here all day, we couldn't answer all the questions. But what are we seeing here? We're seeing this tremendous union between Jesus and the Father. This union, I am in the Father, the Father is in me. I mean, in one sense, we could say, okay, the Son is God and the Father is God. They're, 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 they're of the same substance, but they're different, but, the, but, the, but, but they're both persons. And there they're unified. That's about as far as we can go with that. But let's set that aside because that's a parallel, a second parallel that's being drawn. If you go back to John 14 and you look at verse 20, what is Jesus saying there? He is saying, I am in my Father. Nothing new. We've been hearing that. But then he says, and you in me. And I in you. Now, what's the parallel? Just as Jesus is in the Father, and the Father in Jesus, and we can add the Holy Spirit to this. That's certainly implied. That unity that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit enjoy with one another. That's one side of the parallel. Now, what Jesus is drawing here is, just as I am in the Father and the Father is in me, you are also going to be in me and I am going to be in you. Now, we can go back to my little cross and stick figure that I just love to draw, you know? And occasionally I sign them once in a while. I sign, I sign. Just a joke. My artistic work is terrible. But you have the cross and you have the stick figure. The moment the person puts their faith and trust in Christ, 
You've heard me say that they're brought into union with God. They're brought into union with Christ. They're brought into union uh, with the Father, if you will. But here's the point. Here's the point we need to leave here with, is that union. Faith brings us into union with Jesus. And that union is, in many respects, like the union that Jesus enjoys with the Father. It's breathtaking. Now, mind you, do I need to remind you the context? Jesus is trying to comfort his disciples. Think about how comforting this is. What's going to happen to you, Jesus? What's going to happen to us? Oh, listen, 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 listen. Oh. <laughs> the life that I have in the Father is parallel to the life that you're going to have in me because I live, you're going to live. And, and in that day when you see that I'm alive, you're also, you know, you look at verse 20, in that day that you see that I'm alive, you're also going to, you're also going to know in that day that I'm in my Father and the Father's in me and you are in me and I am in you. This is what's ahead. This is coming. This is going to happen, actually, within a few days. Jesus is going to be crucified the very next day. And on the third day, he's going to, he's going to rise, and they're going to start to figure this out as he rises. Talk about comfort. And we could draw an application from that comfort now as we go through these really terribly anxious days. Look, look, look what God is doing. Look how solid this is. You know, you talk about being on a solid footing. How could we be on more of a solid footing than this? To be actually the very life that's given to us, the life, that newness of life, that resurrection life, however you want to put it, that life, that life that is given to Jesus parallels the life that is given to us. We can't say it's exactly the same in all respects, but we can say it's closely modeled after it. We can say it's parallel to it. Man, that's life. And that's why Jesus in John 17, verse 3, can say, listen, this is eternal life, that you know me, and you know, that you know the Father, and you know me who the Father has sent. I think it starts to open it all up. It asks a lot of questions. I mean, you, you're probably it's like, what about this? What about this? What about this? If you're doing that, you're probably really seeing this. There's a third parallel. There's one more. And I think maybe some of you will be wondering, what's up with all the commandments and the obedience? Commandments and obedience. Love, commandment, obedient. Look at verse 21. Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And Judas, not Iscariot, you know, Iscariot's Judas, Iscariot's gone. This is probably Judas, the son of James. We learn this in John or in Luke chapter six. This is a second Judas that's in the, it's within the disciples, the band of disciples here. Judas says to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Probably what's going on in Judas' mind is they're expecting Jesus to make this big apocalyptic um, uh, revelation, if you will, to show that he is the Messiah. That's probably what's going on in their, in their minds. And his question is, how are you going to make this big apocalyptic entrance to show that you're the Messiah and the world not see it? How's the world not going to see this? How are we going to see this and the world not see this? Look how Jesus answers him in verse 23. If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Have you ever scratched your head and wondered what relevance that would have to Judas's question? 
Or even for this matter, I know I've scratched my head quite a bit with verse 15, verse 21, and verse 23. How does it fit? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. How does that all fit into this? It's the parallel. I think this opens it all up. I think it opens it all up. How does it open it all up? What's on Jesus' mind right now? You remember a couple, several Sundays ago, when we were back in John 13, I, I said, Jesus pushes the button. You remember that? Jesus pushed the button. What do I mean by, some of us weren't there, what do I mean by Jesus pushing the button? He tells Judas to go do what he's going to do, and he tells him to do it quickly. Judas is not betraying Jesus, taking him by surprise. Jesus realizes in commanding Judas to leave that he's pushing the button on the machinery that's going to lead to his crucifixion. He pushes the button. And it's, and it's all, all, this, all these moving parts are moving. All this stuff is happening. Judas is doing his thing. He's selling Jesus off for 30 pieces of silver. They're soon going to be here to arrest him. This whole thing is happening. What's on Jesus' mind? Obeying the Father. That's what's on Jesus' mind. Think about it. Jesus in his human nature. I must obey the Father. I must obey the Father. Even if it means I must hang naked on a tree and take the sins, the sin debt of everyone who I've come to save. I must, I must obey the Father. Why must I obey the Father? I must obey the Father because I love the Father. I must obey the Father because I love the Father. This has to be going on in Jesus' mind. This has to be just, it just, it, it, his mind has to be just, his, his, earth, his human mind has to be just running on this and running on this. And if you look at verse 31, I think, I think it, I, 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 I think it's a, a done deal. Look what Jesus says. He says, I do as the Father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. You see, in other words, what Jesus is saying, I'm going to obey this call in my life because I love the Father. And the world has to see that I love the Father. And he's already been drawing a couple parallels. One, the, parable, the parallel of life. The life, that, the life that Jesus is giving all who put their faith and trust in him is in many respects parallel to the life that Jesus has in the Father. And the union that Jesus brings his followers into in many ways parallels the union that Jesus has with the Father. And the activity, the activity that we're called to is also to parallel the activity of Jesus. Jesus obeys the Father. Why does he obey the Father? Because he loves the Father. And the world needs to see that he loves the Father. And Jesus wants the world to see that we love Jesus. I think it opens it all up. Now, you know, I, I, can't, I can honestly say I don't think I made sense of this, of this passage of Scripture until I saw these three parallels. But I think once you see these three parallels off, doesn't it, doesn't, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's so mysterious and so wonderful at the same time. And I, I listen, don't, don't leave this here. Take, take this home with you and continue to reflect on it. Because I'll tell you, it, it, just, it just gets better with time. The more reflection you do on this. If you don't reflect on it later, you're, you're going you're gonna to reap what you sow here. Reflect on this, and the more you reflect on this, the more you're going to find yourself saying, oh, Lord, I just can't believe this. 
You mean to tell me that the life that you've given me parallels the life that Jesus has in the Father? Yes. Look at the passages that I've shared with you. You mean to tell me the union that I'm brought into with Jesus parallels the union that Jesus has with the Father? Yes. Yes. That's exactly what's being taught here, is it not? That's incredible. This is why it's called good news. I mean, this is the gospel. How in the world... Someone been sitting here, wait, I want this. I mean, you know, I want this. I want to be part of this. How in the world does someone, how does someone come into this? Jesus says, believe it. Confess your sins. Turn away from that crap that the world's selling you and come to me and I'll give you true riches. You want to talk about life? I'll give you life. A life that parallels and models the very life that I have in the Father. You want to talk about union? You want a sense of belonging? Leave that gang. Leave, leave the hood, if you will. You want a sense of belonging? Come to me and I'll give you a sense of belonging. I'll bring you in such union with me that it's a union that parallels the union that I have with the Father. Or let's just think about, you know, those of us who've walked with Jesus for quite some time, let's just think about what has happened to us because we don't understand what has happened to us. I mean, we really don't, do we? We, we, we? we come to know a little bit at a time, and each time we come to know, we discover that it's better than we first thought it was. We thought it was pretty good. We thought it was really good. And then we keep studying the book, and we find out, you know something? It's actually better than we thought it was. We thought it was really good, but it's even better than that. Listen, it's better than what you're hearing from me. This is the best I can do with it, and I'm only doing this much with it. Because like you, I'm learning as we go too. And we're just in this together, right? But I think I remember reading something that goes like this. The heart of man has never imagined. We've never conceived the, the things that await us in Christ Jesus. Does that lift you or what? And I pray that it not only lifts us, but it also attracts others to say, you know, Wow, I want to be part of that. I really do want to be part of that. And this is how Jesus can say, listen, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That isn't how we get in with God. That describes what it looks like when we're in with God. See how we can twist that and say, well, you know, if you want to be in with God, well, you better keep the, you know, keep this good friend of mine will we'll sometimes initiate conversation like this. He'll holler out and say, hey, yo, keeping them commandments. It's hilarious when he does that because of what follows afterwards. Everybody be looking like, what? You keeping them commandments? You know, and then he starts going into the commandments. Of course they're not keeping them commandments. It's not because we shouldn't keep them commandments. If we were keeping the commandments perfectly, we would only be doing what is our duty. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We need a Savior because we can't do that. But once we're saved, we're called back to live that way. Right? Jesus says this. It's important that the world sees that I love the Father and the world will see that I love the Father because I do what the Father has commanded. What has the Father commanded? I have, to, I have to take this cup. I have to die on this cross, I have to save those whom the Father has given me. I mean, we each have our own thing that we've got to do, don't we? 
Um, so, okay. We made it through. It's pretty cool, huh? I didn't know if we'd make it through all three parallels or not, but we did it. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, how magnificent this word is. How poorly it's been proclaimed this morning, Father. Um, this is such a poor proclamation in comparison to how great these truths are, Father. We, we know that as we come to the, the truths, the greater the truths are, the poor, um, the proclamation, Father, um, in heaven we will be able to proclaim these things so much better than we can proclaim them now. We will understand these things so much better than we do now. We will not have sin darkening our minds and our thoughts as we do now. Oh, Father. But if we can glean what we're gleaning now under the current circumstances, how great are these things? Oh, Father, teach us. I pray, oh, Father, cause us all to to work on these things. It's a deep message. I know it's a deep message. And I know in many ways, Father, it's, such, it's a little bit complicated. But help us, oh, Father, to rise up to it. Help us, oh, Father, to begin to focus on these things, to center on these things, to order our life, our lives around these things, oh, Lord. That we have our life, the life that we have in Christ Jesus is modeled after and parallel to the life you have in the Father. The union that we have in Christ Jesus is modeled after and parallel in many respects to the union that you have in the Father. And, oh, Father, our lives are too also to be patterned after yours. Oh, Father, do this work in us that the world will see, oh, Lord, that we love you. And the world will see that, Lord, you are real. You are alive. You are living. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.